Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Graveyard Coffee Talk. We're your hosts, Amanda and Corinne. And, and it's chaos. It is such chaos. I'm so sorry. We are, uh, A, we have not recorded in ages. Thank you guys for being patient with us. B, uh, we've, my family was just at Shabbat Bob. Um, which happened to be during High Holy Days. And so there were so many people and so many children dancing and someone forgot to lay out the actual snack table for children for before services oh, started. No. And yeah, it's a lot. Oh, no. And now we're home and yeah, everyone right. needed to know 100% of that. You're welcome. Yep, definitely. So Amanda, uh, what what beverage are you drinking tonight? I really wish it was wine, um, but I have a lemon berry kombucha. Ooh, that sounds nice. It is nice. It's less lemony than I wanted it to be. Mm. And I don't have any lemons to put in it, but it's Rude. good. And I have, I, I made a monstrosity. It, it looks like bourbon. It is not bourbon. This is green tea and strawberry uh, seltzer. Ooh. Because I was like, well, like matcha and strawberry are really good flavors together. And my green yeah. tea is just a step down from matcha because I'm spoiled. Mm -hmm. So I decided like that sounds like a good blending. And I blended the two. And it's it's pretty good. I don't think I have the proportions quite, quite right yet. Proportios. Proportios. I, I appreciate that. I'm going to use that going forward. I'm pretty sure my cousin Anne came up with that one. I don't think I can claim it, but it's a really valuable word in my vocabulary, and I am glad to share it with other it's people. It's a very, like, and maybe Anne is from the other side of the family, but it's a very Clements family. Anne is from the Dwayne side of the family. Oh, man. We're, we're all crazy on all sides, but in like a nice way. Well, you know, that works. Yeah. So uh, since we definitely remember how our episodes work, what is our card? I shuffled my deck. Almost knock over my kombucha. It's fine. Dude, my camera freaking froze again. It did. You're like halfway over to get your cards. I was so proud. I got the camera to work and now it's busted. Anyway, guys, in case you can't tell, we are not recording together because it's late at night. Two I days think before we said alive. that. I don't think we said that it was nighttime or that we were separate. But now I they know. We said we were separate. My Maybe brain's we didn't. Different. Anyway, I'm pulling from the Murder of Crows tarot deck for reasons that will become apparent in like minutes. <laughs> um, and Amanda. This deck mm -hmm. has been fucking out for me. 
because I drew the I, tower. Oh man, I don't know why that happens to you because that deck sometimes is stern for me, but it's it, it oh, lifts yeah. me up. It's feel good. I here's the thing. I, I think it was getting my vibes because like today was a day. Today was a day. And it is time to get my shit together and stop being the hot mess that I have been. And I think the uh, deck of cards decided that I needed that to be reiterated. Yeah. And to drag my own ass on the podcast that we do. Well, give the listeners what they want. Yeah. So listeners, my ass, it has been dragged. Um, so Amanda, you want to tell the nice people why this deck of cards was appropriate for this particular episode? Oh, no more info on the tower? Oh, no. I should do that. <laughs> I feel like if you know that I'm really sad that I got the tower, you should know it's not a great card to pull. It indicates there is some sort of major upheaval. Whether that is in how you're thinking, in your routines, um, I don't know, if you're doing like a career spread. I shit's about to get real. Your your base is no longer stable, mm -hmm. but to tear down to be able to build back. Indeed. So yeah, I know how to interpret tarot cards and how to do my job. I mean real these. <laughs> We're good at this. All right. So yeah, that deck was perfect for this week's, this week's, like we do a weekly episode, for this episode, um, because as you may have gleaned from the episode title, we are covering psychopomps. You know, I always forget that people can actually see the episode title before they listen. <laughs> I know, we... For like two years almost, and it shocks me every time. I'm sorry. Our listeners read. I mean, yes, probably more than we do. That's why I won't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> I just assume that everyone who listens to this is infinitely smarter than me. They're, they um, are generous with their time and find and us entertaining. <laughs> Hopefully. Really? I hope you find us entertaining. That's our goal I think it's a lot of, oh. Look at the sweet little dummies. They're learning this for the first time. Good job. Oh, and there's going to be a lot of that in this episode. Oh, fun. Uh, and Corinne, I want you to be really, really proud of me because oh. I care about you as a friend. Oh, and God. I resisted the urge to go super off script based on some of the uh, pathways my research took. So uh -huh. I did not cover the role of the corpse in colonial Virginia. Um, you. <laughs> because I think uh, some of the articles I read on that front would have left you completely scarred. Mm-hmm. Sounds about so right. So I didn't do it. Thanks. But it was fun reading for me. I'm glad. I'm glad for you. So uh, before we get started, my notes 
this episode are sourced uh, from a few different places. Uh, the Wikipedia article on psychopomps, an article from JSTOR Daily called Who is Santa Muerte? Uh, the Wikipedia article for Santa Muerte and the Wikipedia article for folk Catholicism. Ooh. So to start with, what is a psychopomp? Uh, a psychopomp is a creature, spirit, angel, deity, demon, something whose responsibility is to accompany and guide souls from the world of the living to the world of the dead. Um, the one that I think anyone listening would recognize immediately, um, even if you think you don't know any psychopomp myths, is the Grim Reaper. Yes. Okay. Um, now, my research for this episode was a little weird because I would find something like really promising and then I'd do a deeper dive. And uh, there were some search results playing fast and loose with the word psychopomp. Yeah, I found that too. Um, so then I'd go another route and it would happen over and over and over and over, and over again. Um, I was pulling my hair out a little bit. So then I decided, you know what, screw it. And what led me to my topic was actually going a very roundabout way and going on TV tropes. Love that. Looking up psychopomp, looking up examples from folklore and mythology. I, why didn't I think about that, Amanda? <laughs> I used to live on TV tropes. I could not tell you what possessed me in the moment to do that. I love this um, for you. I'm so I, inspired. I legitimately, I was having so much trouble. Um, and that led me to Santa Muerte and her role as psychopomp, saint, and center of controversy. Love that. Okay, yes, yes. And uh, I apologize in advance for any mispronunciations. I took, <laughs> excuse me, four years of high school Spanish and have nothing to show for it. Uh, you know what? You're putting in a good faith effort. I am. Unlike when I cover something that involves French pronunciations, I don't do this to make you cringe. <laughs> Fair. You're welcome. So Nuestra Señora de la Santa Muerte, often shorten shortened to Santa Muerte, is most often depicted as a skeletal female figure in a long robe, her hands holding objects, uh, the two most common being a globe and a scythe. Okay. Her name can be translated as either Saint Death or Holy Death. Okay. Um, with the former more aligning with her place as a folk saint. Um, and I'm not touching too much on folk practices within Christianity or um, folk Catholicism too much in this segment because I would love to go back and do a deeper dive in that. Absolutely, um, I am here for that. 
you know, just the evolution of less uh, Christian practices as Christianity becomes the dominant religion in a culture, um, which was just really fun reading for me, but not super applicable yeah. here. Um, and I would love now to go down a rabbit hole and see how that works as other religions become dominant in certain areas. Um, Cause of me, but anyway, so she's a figure born from merging the uh, pre-Columbian beliefs and practices in South and Central America with the Catholic traditions brought over by the Spanish. Okay. The earliest reference to the name Santa Muerte that I could find was an 18th century account from a priest of the Spanish Inquisition. Super. Where he talked about uh, indigenous peoples in central Mexico tying up a skeletal figure, which they called Santa Muerte, and threatening to beat it if it refused to answer prayers or grant wishes. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. I have a thing to tell you about that's not really applicable to my research, and I will tell you when we're done recording. Okay, please don't forget that, because now I really want to know. Okay, I'm going to write a note. Yay! So, surprising no one, Santa Muerte worship has super evolved from that practice. Um, if, in fact, that was an accurate interpretation of what the priest saw. Um just as we all know, when you are viewing a folk practice solely through the lens of the colonizing parties, um, you're not going to get the full picture of what happened. Um, and really viewing any folk practice through the lens of someone not of that tradition, I think, will skew yeah, everybody you from their own biases, from their own understandings of things. Exactly. Um, so overt worship was viewed not quite as, it, in my notes, I almost wrote overt worship was viewed as heresy by the Catholic Church, but that's not strictly true. Hmm. The Catholic Church was very careful to not label Santa Muerte veneration as heresy. Okay. Because even as it was discouraged, it was very popular. Still is. Yeah. It, if anything, it's more popular now. Mm -hmm. um, so it was one of those tread lightly, don't push people away from the church. Um, but it was definitely discouraged by the Catholic Church and as more Protestant churches um, set up and became established in Mexico, particularly uh, a lot of church leaders called Santa Muerte worship and veneration devil worshiping. Super. Because if you're not in our church, it's, it's a bad. Um, we learned about all... that with the witch trials in Europe. Exactly. 
where was I? All right. And interestingly, while Santa Muerte worship has been addressed many times over by the Mexican Catholic Church, it even as the tradition gains traction in the United States, the American Council of Bishops has not made any official statement one way or the other. Good for them. Take from that what you will. (laughs) I know. They can't keep their mouth shut about anything else, but. Hey, hey, talking to you, my mother-in-law, Martha, (laughs) don't. Don't (laughs) this episode. I'm going to be introducing so much blasphemy tonight. I'm speaking directly to you, Martha. If you're going to listen to it, at least for the love of God, not where Sister Grace can hear. Do this for me, please. (laughs) So Santa Muerte is considered the personification of death. Um, There are some claims that, oh, Santa Muerte was a real person and should have been canonized, blah, blah, blah. But that is not a prevalent belief. Okay, yeah, uh, kind of reminds me of some of the the very early saints in the Catholic Church who probably didn't actually exist. Yes and no, because again, the oh my goodness, English is a difficult language. The other thing it would be more similar to now that I'm thinking about it would be when Christianity was brought to Ireland. Maybe more similar. Uh, a little bit. Like, but again, but again, a lot of, at least my understanding, um, having not delved too deep into St. Bridget, is the church and folk Catholic practitioners will tell you that Bridget was a real person, as opposed to the majority of Santa Muerte worshippers do not think that she was ever human. Okay. Um, All right. I can, I can see the, and again, I, I could be wrong in my, I could be wrong. The Amanda Bronson story. Um, And as the personification of death, people call on her to assist not only in the final journey to the underworld, because she is said to, walk beside you as you make that transition. Um, But she is called on for any sort of dangerous travel. Um, Whether that's you are crossing through area that is cartel controlled Mm -hmm. or you are LGBTQIA plus and walking through an area of town that is maybe not safe. Um, And she's also called on uh, pretty frequently for protection from gun violence. Huh? Now, unsurprisingly to me, given how she is very clearly called upon for dangerous journeys um, for any sort of difficult time in a person's life, some anthropologists consider her worshipers a cult of crisis. Okay. Um, she is 
very much seen as a protector of outcasts. You know, her worshipers include um, people who identify as LGBTQIA+, um, sex workers, petty thieves, um, a lot of people who turn to crime out of desperation. Mm. Um, she, her worship is pretty prevalent throughout prisons. Okay. And as a lot of American pop culture tells us, um, and for once there actually is some truth to it, she is a figure associated with the cartels in Mexico. Okay, yeah. Um, a lot of cartel members will leave offerings to Santa Muerte um, pretty regularly. Now, what I found interesting there is unlike a lot of the more traditional worship where she is seen as a figure within and compatible with Catholicism okay. by her worshipers. Uh, what we are seeing with the cartel members who leave her offerings, they are not associating her with Christianity at all. Oh. Um, and it's almost evolving into its own religion as the cartel influence grows. Huh, okay. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, so yeah, and my notes kind of end a little abruptly there because this is, this is a, a practice that people, um, hold very dear mm -hmm. and I hope I did this little bit justice um but yeah I just thought that was really interesting um and again I am going to do a much deeper dive into folk Catholicism and folk uh Christianity and I guess the the umbrella of folk practices that I think some people would consider new agey sort of magic, but they're not. Yeah. They've, they've been around longer than. I mean, like I think about all of the, the little folk practices that have survived, even in my family, where it's very much like, we don't mess with anything that could potentially smack of the occult. And, you know, we're, we're very enlightened scientific people, but we also pray to St. Anthony every time we can't find our keys. Exactly. Um, and, and I, would, I was trying to dig into. Yeah. And while I was doing my research for this, I was trying to find um, the origin of certain little things related to death that my family does and says. And I found where they are definitely some Appalachian superstitions like a bird flying into your house means there's going to be a death soon. Yeah. And deaths come in threes. Um, the bird flying in, I will say, is not something that, you know, I won't tell people to not tell their children their own uh, superstitions. I will say it's very unfortunate if you tell a child that and then the next day a bird flies into their grandparents' house while they're being babysat. Mm. Um, Sounds like we might be speaking from some experience. 
a little bit um that may or may not have happened to me mm -hmm. <laughs> and i may or may not have cried for like two weeks straight um assuming that somebody in my family was gonna die yeah um the best of my knowledge no one did yeah there might have been like some extended relative and people were like mm, let's not tell her that this was true <laughs> fair and valid <laughs> sometimes it's okay to lie to children exactly exactly um so that's my segment yeah. awesome all right are you ready for blasphemy always oh my god please i hope no one in my family is listening hey i already put the warning out for the one i know <laughs> and i'm not editing that out <laughs> anyway i'm not starting with blasphemy i'm starting with animals because i love animal psychology. slippery slope <laughs> i'm starting with animals because you know i love an animal with a job and mm -hmm. also, I could cannibalize from other episodes that we've recorded. Okay. Because one of the most common for me when I think of psychopomps is ravens and crows. Yes. Like, that is just, that's been such a thing for me my whole life. And as they're carrion eaters, they do have that close association with death. Um, and while it, when I did that initial research for the Crows and Ravens episode and General Corvids, there is a story from the Quran about how when Cain murdered Abel, he was like, oh shit, there's a corpse. What do I do? I can see where that would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah, so he sees one raven burying a dead raven in the earth, and he's like, aha, I know what to do now. Oh. Yeah. So I always thought that was really cool. Um, there's also, I saw this on Wikipedia. Oh, hey, sources. A lot of Wikipedia. Uh, uh, someone's master's thesis called The Totemic Significance of the Deer in Iron Age Scythian and Sarmatian uh, Culture in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. And uh, what was that site called? Jewish Myth. Myth, magic, and mysticism. Oh, I think I know where you're about to go with this. And also, SL Media? What the hell? I don't know what the site is actually called. It's SL Media, but we will we will go places. Um, but there is in, oh, I can't remember anymore, specific school of anthropology. I'm blanking on it because I didn't put this in my notes. Like a champ, this is what happens when you write your notes while you're sick. You know, it is October and I have an almost four year old. So I'm just gonna assume that all of my notes written over the next few months will be written while I am sick. Yeah. But um, no, I think, yeah, I think it's called structuralism where they look at like the deep core similarities across cultures and the association of ravens eating carrion made them such an emblematic thing because ravens are found in yeah, quite quite a lot quite a lot of the world yeah so that made them kind of a natural 
figure for being a psychopomp. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, in terms of other episodes that we've done where we've talked about animals as psychopomps, uh, jackals and their association mm-hmm. with Anubis, who, uh, because <laughs> anytime I can bring this up again, uh, <laughs> After after the Greeks and Romans were like, hey, this is Anubis god, he's pretty freaking awesome. And they smooshed him and conflated him with Hermes and sometimes Hades and sometimes Kerberos and came up with the fucking portmanteau Hermanubis. And I'm I'm still Ask mad your about doctor this. about Hermanubis today. I'm so mad about this. So <laughs> yeah. Um those are two that we've just touched on in old episodes. I will link to the show notes. Of those episodes, you can go back and listen to them and revel in me losing my mind about animals with jobs. And um, yeah, so when I was reading that Wikipedia article about psychopomps that we both referenced, mm-hmm. uh, I got mega pumped when I saw that deer were listed as a particular psych- uh, kind of psychopomp. Because as a child, not even as a child, I think I was in like my 20s, I had a really vivid dream about deer being psychopomps. Oh, interesting. To me, they've always seemed very eerie and quiet and otherworldly. And yes, they're also incredibly dumb. They are so dumb. They can be himbos of the animal world and ethereal guides to the afterlife if they want to. Get you a girl who can do both. They have the range. Sorry. (laughs) I have a problem. Anyway, uh, depictions of deer as psychopomps largely come from Scythian art. Uh, there's apparently also an Irish deer goddess who serves sometimes as a psychopomp. I saw it in a reference when I was reading that master's thesis I found on academia.edu. That again was the totemic significance of the deer in Iron Age Scythian and Sarmatian culture in Eastern Europe and Central Asia. Nice. Say that ten times fast. I cannot. Uh, anyway, the Scythians were a nomadic people who likely originated somewhere around modern-day Iran uh, and spread up into Eastern Europe all around the Black Sea. Uh, unfortunately, something like similar to what we were discussing a bit earlier, they did not leave behind written records. So mostly what we have is suppositions that we can make from the material culture and evidence that we've found at archaeological sites, as well as writing from other cultures who were contemporary with the Scythians such as our good buddy, the Greek writer Herodotus. Mm-hmm. So you do have to, you know, take some of what he was writing with a grain of salt, since these were people writing about a quote-unquote other and barbaric culture. Oh, that's always a good start to things. Anyway, one of the reasons that deer may have been associated with death is because they were also frequently considered important for life. The Scythians were a herding people. They were at least partially nomadic. They did not typically make set cities. Um, And when they would be depicting their kind of view of the world, uh, the Scythians used a lot of animal imagery. So birds for the heavens, deer and other herd animals for the earth, and then large predators like lions for the underworld. And these three spheres and their attendant animals could all be connected to make sort of a world tree. And then the deer's branching antlers could be magnified and stylized to actually make that tree. So you've got that path from the heavens to the earth to the underworld. 
Oh. Yeah. Very cool. Um, so there's, unfortunately, I, I could not find a lot other than Scythians used a lot of deer imagery in their funerary practices. Because, again, we just don't have a lot to go on. Right. But it was still really cool, and it made me really happy, and I had to tell you about it. Yes, always tell me things that sound cool. It made me happy. And then I went on an unexpected journey, and here is where the uh, blasphemy is going to start coming in. <laughs> so I am actually a fan of lumping Christianity with other world mythologies because it feels right to do after a lifetime of having it be presented as this is religion, everything else is just myths. Except maybe that the Abrahamic religions, if we're playing nicely. Right. So I saw some references to some uh, some of the angels that are frequently considered psychopomps, especially in Islamic and Judaic culture. And that was really cool. But then I saw in the list of Christian psychopomps, St. Peter at the Pearly Gates, and Jesus Christ, the mad lad himself. Is that the blasphemy? No, it gets Is worse. Is calling Jesus the mad lad the blasphemy? Nope, it gets worse. So, part of the reason that this didn't ever occur to me at first is just cultural bias. Like, I was raised Catholic. I live in a predominantly Christian country. And in my head, the, the way I think of psychopomps is very specifically as guides, not just gatekeepers. And this is, this is where I'm going to go to hell. St. Peter, the original gatekeeping girl boss. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sorry, mom and dad. I didn't mean to get excommunicated, but it was really funny. Um, worth it. That's not even... Uh, I was expecting so much worse. I... Yeah, it's fair. It's fair. I just know that I will definitely make some people mad in my family. <laughs> anyway, um... What I did think was very interesting when I started digging into the whole St. Peter is a psychopomp thing is that the depiction of St. Peter at the gates of heaven is actually a fairly recent detail in art. And it's mostly used by cartoonists. Oh, so like recent, recent. Yeah, like very modern. Uh, traditional depictions in art history do not include that particular detail. And a side note about how St. Peter is depicted, as quoted from his Wikipedia article, by the 15th century, Peter is more likely to be bald on the top of his head in the Western church, but he continues to have a good head of hair in the Orthodox icons. Priorities. <laughs> yes, good. So, and I'm looking at St. Peter, and he's not a patron saint of death or of the dying or anything like that. He's the patron saint of things like cobblers. And I'm like, why? Why? So then I'm like, okay, I'm Catholic. There's got to be a patron saint of death and dying. Uh, several, I would assume. So I Googled this because that's what you do. And it turns out St. Joseph, stepfather of As the in, Okay. Yeah. He's who you're supposed to intercede with for a quote unquote good death. Because um, the thought goes from what I understand that the assumption is that once he stops getting mentioned in the Bible, it's because he died, which reasonable assumption. 
and that likely he had Mary and Jesus at his side when he died. So to quote Pope Francis. Also a fair assumption. Yeah. So po to quote Pope Francis, who was in turn quoting Pope Benedict the Fifteenth, and I was so smart and I wrote down what the Roman numeral actually is in numbers. I'm proud of you because I wouldn't have remembered that. And then we would have had a very embarrassing moment. Yep. So a century ago, Pope Benedict the Fifteenth wrote, through Joseph, we go directly to Mary and through Mary to the origin of all holiness, who is Jesus. So the whole idea is, yes, Joseph died, but he died in what could possibly be as a Catholic, the best circumstances to get your fast pass into heaven. I mean, fair. So, assuming, assuming he was a good stepdad. I, I mean, they don't bitch about him in the Bible. He's probably fine. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> this is why I'm going to hell. Anyway, anyway, um, I did note in that uh, Jewish myth, magic, and mysticism blog post that Abraham is considered another psychopomp because in some stories he sits at the gates of Gehenna and he keeps any circumcised Jew from going into Gehenna. Like, nope, nope, we're shutting, shutting you back. You don't get to go there. You don't have to go there. Okay. So at least we both have gatekeepers. It's all, it's all good. So, in addition to St. Joseph being a patron saint of death and dying, Michael the Archangel is probably the closest thing in Catholic tradition to what I think of as a traditional psychopomp, which is news to me. Yeah? 16 years of Catholic education. This is news to me. Because one of his main roles, according to the church, in addition to being defender of the faith, He's also the defender of the Jewish faith. Good for him. He's got a lot of jobs. But uh, he is charged with shepherding the souls of Christians into heaven. But he also weighs those souls to determine whether or not they need to go chill in purgatory or something. Is there a feather involved? Like uh, Yeah, see, because I was like, and of course that imagery brings me right back around to our buddy Anubis and everything old <laughs> is new again. And I need to go sit down and think about synchronicity for a while. Everything comes full circle. It's her Anubis all the way down. <laughs> That's my research, Amanda. Amazing. This is what I did with my life. Amazing. I I learned about the faith that I was raised in. I made jokes that might get me in trouble. See, but not only did you learn about the faith that both of us were raised in, you learned things that neither of us had ever been told. Right. This would have been so much more interesting. I would have paid attention in theology class in grade school if they were telling me this shit. Well, you know, those those weeks where I was convinced that someone was going to die in my family maybe would have been made easier if I thought St. Michael would be there with them. Who knows? Or Archangel. <laughs> so he is considered, they're called saints. They're not technically saints. I know. We're already in heaven, blah, blah, blah. An angel is an angel is an angel. Sometimes I listen during homilies. That makes one of us. Okay, that's what I have. Anyway, that's that's my notes. That's my research. I went on a journey that I didn't expect to go. I always go on unexpected journeys. Just call me a hobbit. 
Um, well, that was really fun. That was fun. This is a, this is a good note to come back on. I think so. And then uh, just as a little bit of news, um, any of our listeners in Louisville or who want a road trip on October 28th at 2 p.m. Uh, is it 2 p.m.? I thought it was later. Pretty sure it's 2 p.m. later on the website. Well, I've got it here somewhere. 2 to 3.30. Okay. Um, we might need to email our contact because I think he's got it listed as being an 8 p.m. thing. Yeah, because I'm looking at the, anyway, I'm looking at the, the printed newsletter. Uh, okay. So, anyway, October 28th, and we will, um, once we nail down that time, we'll announce them on our socials, uh, just for clarification's sake. We are doing a live show at the Louisville Free Public Library's main branch, the one downtown. Uh, Lurid Louisville and Sinister Sister Cities. Uh, come down and listen to us. I'm going to go over some uh, stories of hauntings in and around Louisville. And Corinne will be researching the same in Louisville's Sister Cities. Should be a blast. Okay. Oh, you know what? They have updated the timing. It was just old. We're good. It is, so it it is, is 3.30. Sweet, because I have plans that night. Um, yeah, so come join us. It's going to be, I, I mean, you more or less, what you hear is what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, We're very silly. Corinne won't be editing out all of my nonsense so oh it's cute that you think i added out your nonsense you make me sound a lot smarter than i am here's the secret you actually do sound smart all i do is take out the weird mouth sounds we make and some of mm. the ums <laughs> um but yeah it'd be I'm nice to see people there yeah um, uh, another housekeeping note um due to the fact that life is insane we are going to be dropping down to one episode a month. Yes. Uh, just so we can stay consistent and not have to take two months off at a time going forward. Um, so we will, we will do that until this season of our lives sees fit to calm down and give us some breathing room. Yeah, like speaking of seasons, right after this, I get to go and make goodie bags for a bacteria-themed fourth birthday party. Yeah, have fun with that. I mean, you uh, will actually, but... I'm actually going to have a blast with that because my kid is the coolest and asked for a bacteria and virus-themed birthday. Yes. It's the best. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. Uh, super happy to be back. Sweet dreams and caffeinated nightmares, everyone. Good night. Thank you for listening to Graveyard Coffee Talk. Our theme music is Pretty Little Dead Girls by Sean and McGuire. 
copyright 2006 and used with permission. Our cover art is by Kyle Welsh. If you want to keep the chat going, please visit our website at graveyardcoffeetalk.com for transcripts, episode notes, and more. Follow us on Instagram at graveyardcoffeetalkpod or on Twitter at talkgraveyard. Yeah.